stuff. It is, it is so cool and uh, a dream to be able to, to talk to Jonathan Horton on the Good Stuff Kids and Good Stuff Sports podcast. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on your show. Absolutely. So we should give a little backstory. I met you, I mean, maybe two weeks ago. It was at a, a big gymnastics event here in Houston at uh, Energy Arena. And you were, and you know, we're, we're going to get into lots of different kinds of things here. You were selling a book and I went up to you with my son and just wanted to see what was going on and check it out. And lo and behold, I found myself for the first time in my life face to face with an Olympic athlete. And I thought it was the coolest thing. My son thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, and you were so kind and so gracious and you talked to us and you signed a book and we're going to get to all that. But tell us a little bit about, about your backstory, you know, just like a, a, a sort of a brief overview and then we'll dive into some things. Yeah, sure. And no, it, uh, it was cool to meet you guys as well. And I've been traveling around the country quite a bit right now doing a bit of a book tour just about my my life and my journey and some of the lessons that I've picked up from 28 years of gymnastics. I started doing gymnastics when I was four years old and loved the sport. Um, wasn't the most gifted and talented kid in the world, but had a passion for it and stuck with it for a really long time. And then, you know, around the age of 16 or 17, actually, it took me a really long time to catch my stride. I started having some success in the sport and became a junior national champion and a senior national champion, um, was given a full scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, which was a huge blessing. And before I knew it, I made my first Olympic team in 2008, I stood on top of the Olympic podium twice, once getting a bronze medal with the team, and then also was awarded a silver medal on the individual high bar. And so after that, I had you know big dreams of going back to the games, and so made the team in 2012. Didn't win anything in 2012, but I captained the squad, which was really, really cool. And then in 2016, I tried to make a third Olympic team, but, you know, sports are tough as you get a little bit older, especially in a sport like gymnastics. I was 30 years old trying to make my third Olympic team, and that's, like, ancient for my sport. And I ended up hurt, ended up hurting my shoulder pretty bad about nine months before the Games, and my career came to a close. So that's, that's, uh, that's 28 years in a nutshell. Wow. Okay. So 28 years in a nutshell and, uh, pretty amazing. So let's, let's, let's sort of backtrack and, and sort of get into some of the, some of the pieces. Do you remember when or how or, or why you were so drawn to gymnastics? So I'll give you a, a quick kind of goofy story and it's everyone's favorite story from my career. So when I was four, um, I, I was just like this rambunctious, super ADHD kid that was bouncing off the walls. Like, I was that kid that you saw in a department store, and he had the monkey backpack with the leash on. Um, <laughs> and, like, my mom, she just couldn't control me. I was wild. Anyways, she took me to a Target one day, and I didn't have the monkey backpack with the leash. And she lost, she ended up losing me in the store. I was, like, playing in the clothes or something like that, and... I took off. She couldn't find me anyways. Like 10 minutes went by and she was searching the whole place and she was panicking. And so everybody in the store started helping my mom try to locate me. Anyways, the manager came up to her and said, Hey ma'am, calm down. I found your son. And he pointed straight up, to, straight up to the ceiling. <laughs> and I had, I had wrapped my arms and legs around a support beam in the middle of the store. And I climbed all the way 25 feet to the top. 
<laughs> and uh, I I very vaguely remember doing this. I, I remember being at the top of the pole thinking, hey, this is really cool. But I don't actually remember climbing it. And they said it was amazing. Like, I could barely even get my arms and legs around it. And they were like, we don't know how you did it. Anyway, my mom said I slid down the pole, didn't know I'd done anything wrong. She went home that night and told my dad about it. And my dad basically was like, wow, our son is a freak. We need to, like, put him in gymnastics or something. And so they enrolled me into a gymnastics facility the very next day after that incident. And I just remember as a kid falling in love with just being able to, like, go crazy in a facility that had rings and ropes and bars and pits and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it was just a place for me to get my, my, my extreme amount of energy out. And like I said, I, I wasn't the most gifted and talented kid in the world. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the fastest. Um, I am a notoriously slow learner, and I think it's because I am so, like, ADD, bouncing off the wall, can't focus. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just loved it from day one. I never did another sport, and I just I committed to it because it, it was just a blast. That That's really amazing. So I think for um... – it could be interesting for, for young gymnasts to hear from you. Like you spent time on all of the different pieces, right? All of the different apparatus and, and things like that. How, what was it about the high bar in particular that really got you get really got you going? I guess like that really sort of that you focused in on as your element. Yeah. So, so it's funny you asked that. Um, yes, I was an all arounder. I did all six of the men's events. Uh, for our listeners that don't know a lot about gymnastics, the women do four events, the men do six. Um, we do rings and pommel horse, which the women don't have. Um, but my my best events as a kid were um, everything but pommel horse and high bar, actually. I, uh, I was really good at the other four, and then pommel horse was my nemesis from day one, and then high <laughs> bar, I was, I was horrible on high bar, and people are really shocked to hear that. I, when I was a little kid, I was supposed to be learning how to swing around the thing and, and do all these like little intricate moves where you twist and turn on the bar. And I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't really wrap my mind around how to do high bar. And it was 10 feet in the air. It was a little bit scary. I'm always thinking, am I going to hit my, my feet, my legs, my nose, my face, whatever. And, um, when I was, let's see, I, uh, I do a lot of, uh, motivational speaking. I do a lot of corporate events and I always share with people the story of how like when high bar shifted for me so i was actually 13 years old and i was watching tv i was watching gymnastics on tv and this guy goes up on the high bar he's swinging around he lets go of the bar he does a double backflip and then he catches it and i was like what in the heck was that <laughs> and i'd never seen anything like that and you know keep in mind that at this time I'm, i still suck at high bar i'm horrible and so <laughs> I uh, I remember walking into my gym the very next day, and I went up to my coach. I was like, hey, coach, I was watching gymnastics on TV yesterday. This dude's swinging around the bar. He does a double backflip, and then he grabs the bar. What is that? And my coach is like, oh, yeah, that skill's called a Kovac. It's one of the hardest skills being done in the world. Only a handful of guys can do it. I remember looking at him. I was like, yeah, I want to learn that. <laughs> yeah. And he looked at me, and he he looked at me and he's like, uh, yeah, no, not going to happen. You need to, you need to learn all this other stuff first. I was like, yeah, but I don't like all that other stuff. I can't figure out how to do it. One thing at that point in my career, I was like, I know how to go around the bar really fast. Maybe if I just let go at the right time, try to flip, I can catch it. 
And he was like, no, you're going to kill yourself. And all my teammates were like, yeah, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> anyway, I became uh, kind of a psycho that day, and I tried it, and everybody was like, what are you doing? Anyways, long story short, I learned the skill in two days. Whoa. And everybody was blown away. I, I just kept trying it, and I wasn't landing on the bar. I wasn't hurting myself, and it just seemed kind of natural in my head. And to this day, I'm the youngest person in history to ever learn that skill on high bar. Huh. Um, and so I got the idea to kind of run with it. I was like, wow, I found something that I happen to be good at that no one else is. I was like, I suck at everything else, but hey, this is my bread and butter. I'm just going to do it. So I learned like four different variations of a Kovac. And by the time I was 18 years old, I was able to perform all of them in one routine. I was like this pioneer of this X Games, like extreme style high bar. And a lot of people didn't believe it would be possible to perform under pressure at a, you know, a major international competition. But then in 2008, when I was 22 years old, I went all out through the kitchen sink, did every skill I could possibly think of, um, was super high flying, really crowd pleasing, but terrifying for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, a, a little bit of luck, a lot of skill, a lot of training, a lot of faith and belief that it was possible, even though no one else had ever done it before. And I completed the routine at the Olympic games and a lot of people, you know, were upset that I didn't win gold, but, uh, you know, winning silver was, was pretty spectacular, especially for a kid that was not supposed to be good on that event. Right. I mean, that's so interesting. I'm like a number of different levels, right? So, so I want to, and the three that I'm sort of keyed in on just based on that story and, and, and your Olympic experience is the idea or the role of coaching in gymnastics. Cause I, I think that people understand like what a football coach or what a basketball coach does. Right. But is that yeah. similar to a gymnastics coach, the idea of performing under pressure? And then I think that, and I don't even know if I have the words to actually get at what you were describing when you attempted or, or were drawn to the Kovacs, but like, some sort of internal like alarm that goes off for you that you're like, Oh, I can do this. This is my thing. Like, I know I can do it. I can visualize it. I can see it. So I don't know if you've ever thought about um, that particular piece of it in any way. So maybe we'll just say that that's like a, one of those just sort of crazy things that happen in the world, but uh, we'll get to that in a second, but tell, just like give a little, um, a little, explanation to folks who may not know about the role of coaching in gymnastics? Oh, I mean, coaching is so important um, for so many reasons. And I I talk a lot about why my coach was so successful and continues to be. My coach's name is Tom Meadows. And he actually, for the past several years now, he's been kind of known as the number one boys coach in the in the country for for gymnastics he's produced olympians national team members national champions right here in houston texas and i think one of the things that makes him great is his balance um and talking about gymnastics not actual balance but his balance (laughs) and being able to push an athlete really really hard until they can't be pushed anymore and then pull back. Um, And that's one of the things that he was so great with me was he would push me. And then the moment he saw that I was maybe about to, I don't want to say break, because this isn't the Navy SEALs or anything like that. But, you know, I'd come into the gym one day and he'd have an assignment for a really hard workout. 
and I would start the workout, and if I just looked drained, exhausted, potentially going to hurt myself, he'd come up to me and out of the blue be like, hey, you know what? Um, we're not going to do that today. And I'd always be shocked. I'd be like, what do you mean? Because that's not his thing. He usually mm-hmm. would be like, no, push through. You got this. You can do this. I don't care how tired you are. But he could just see it and go, you know what? Um, I want you to pick your favorite event and go play on that event today. And I would be like, I kid you not, like when I was in my 20s and 30s still training, he would do this. Yeah. I'd be like, what do you mean you want me to go play? He'd be like, yeah, you know, go to high bar and just play with some crazy tricks into the foam pit today. You look tired. I'm not going to push you. Um, this is just your day. And so he was really good at learning his athletes, and I think that's what's so good about it. A, a great coach doesn't coach one way for everybody. He learns the individual and how to push them, um, how, you know, what makes an athlete tick, what, you know, some athletes need to be yelled at to get, to get something out of them. Some athletes, you got to just have a good time with them and they work really hard. Um, and so that's one of the reasons he's so effective. Also, I think that a great coach has to set a level of expectation that the athletes always know in the back of their mind, this is what is expected of me, and I have to perform at this level. Um, any, every single day that, that anyone at my gym walked in, we knew what Coach Tom wanted of us, and it was giving it everything that we had. Um, and it wasn't even necessarily like, hey, I'm, you know, everybody's got to become the best gymnast in the world. No, the expectation was you're going to come in here with focus, and you're going to – Push yourself as hard as you can to be the best that you can be. Um, and I just see a lot of coaches that I guess they, the expectation just isn't there and their athletes don't, they don't get pushed. And so that's, I think those are the two big ones that pop into my head right away is balance with athletes and a level of expectation that the athletes understand. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of nuance there because it sounds like um, there's a, a wide variety of ages, right? And, and you got to be able to work with, you know, a, a young 13 year old athlete, like you were, you know, you, like you were right. Exactly. And then, you know, someone who's maybe got a little bit more seasoning and how do you motivate those different ages and how do you stay, you know, the, with your athlete essentially. So that's, that's really interesting. Okay. So have you ever thought about what it was about the Kovacs that that you sort of immediately knew that that was for you and you could do it? Was it because it looked cool and you just wanted to try it, or were you like, I can do that? Um, it was a couple things. Yeah, I saw it and I was like, that is cool uh, because <laughs> you know it was like one of the best gymnasts in the world, and he was at the prime of his career, and he throws this crazy skill, and I my mind immediately goes like wow, that's awesome. Like I, I want to do that. And then also there was something so simplistic about it. You know, some of the, so, so much of gymnastics is really intricate and twisting and turning and hand placements and, and just the way you manipulate your body in the air. This was swinging around a steel bar, 10 feet in the air as fast as you can, making sure that you let go at the right time, the apex of the swing, flipping twice and catching it. And so for me, it just seemed less intricate. Like, okay, like if I just go really fast and let go at the right time, like I either A, going to miss the bar, or B, I'm going to let go at the wrong time. I'm going to land on the bar, which, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And so I think for me, I there was this lack of fear that 
99.9% of the athletes that saw that skill immediately go, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. That's stupid. I'm going to hurt myself. Whereas I looked at it like, eh, what's the worst that could happen? Let's go for it. <laughs> and so I just, I, I got, I, I think at this point in my career, all of the guys that I was training with were starting to rapidly advance at learning some of the more traditional elements on high bar. And I was getting so frustrated that I was like, ah, I, I, I got to figure something out. And as soon as I saw that skill, just the light bulb went off. Like, okay, 20 bucks says nobody else is going to try this, but I will. Yeah. And as soon as I tried it and realized I was still alive, I wanted to keep trying it again. <laughs> the, the life or death sort of aspect of that is so <laughs> interesting. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about the Olympics a little bit, right? I've never been to the Olympics. I probably, I mean, as a... I will never go as an athlete, but potentially as a spectator at some point. What is the, what is the, I mean, for lack of a better word, like what is the vibe when you get off the plane and you get to Olympic Village and there's like just people from everywhere all over the place? What is that like as an athlete? So I'll tell you what, um, the vibe is kind of strange because you think you're going to get off the plane and it's going to be like all this hype and you're going to walk into the Olympic village and it's going to be a bunch of like amazing athletes with their shoulders back and chins up. Like I'm an Olympian, but you walk into the village and everybody's just kind of super humble and excited to be at the games. No one's, no one's too arrogant. And, you know, I think so much of the hype, it obviously comes from the spectators around the village and what's going on at the Olympics. But when it comes to the actual competitors, my first thought was like, this is going to be crazy. It's going to be like for the guys, like this big, like testosterone, like who's the like toughest dude here. Yeah. And like for the ladies, they're all going to be strutting their stuff. Like we're the best athletes on the planet, but I'm, I'm blown away by at the elite level of any sport, how humble all of the athletes are. And so that was kind of the vibe that I got. Like, man, these people are super cool. Like you walk, you walk by Serena Williams or like LeBron James was in the village at, at one of the Olympics, Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt. And they're all just like kind of, you know, shooting the breeze and chatting with the other athletes wow. and just being really chill. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. And, yeah. um, you know, it's not until you get home from the Olympics, and everybody runs up to you and they want your autograph and they want a picture that all of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay, I, I think I just did something really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more like, I guess that's, that's the best answer I can give you is like the vibe when you get home is what's way different than what you would expect versus the vibe at the Olympics. The Olympics almost feels just like another competition that you've already done before. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting to note, right? Like so much of gymnastics is the competition and the practice and things like that. And, and it's, I think that this is a sort of like an overall lesson, you know, and, and this sort of maybe is, is a, a piece of the book. If I had known life lessons from an Olympic athlete by author and Olympian and Ninja Warrior, which we're going to get to in a second, Jonathan Horton, <laughs> the, the uh, that you put in the hours and yes, the Olympics to me as someone who is not a competitive athlete feels like it would be the biggest, most, uh, you know, pressure filled you know, nerve wracking thing. But when you think about it, I, it in the way that you said, it makes perfect sense. You're a competitor. You've been in competitions, you know, NCAA competitions, uh, you know, 
all of the various things that you've done, like the Olympics is another one of those. So you have these, these skills that you've learned over the course of being in competition that you can apply to this and you're able to sort of be in the moment and not let the moment be bigger than you. Is that sort of a fair way to put it? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that like you, you nailed it with how you described that better than I could. Uh, you know, you, it's like you mentioned NCAA competition, which is extremely nerve wracking and a lot of people watching and then world championships and, and national championships and all these different events that over the course of your career, just kind of prepare you for the Olympics, which is just one more meet that happens to, uh, you know, maybe have a few more people in the crowd. Well, not a few more. There's like 40,000 people <laughs> in the arena, but right. uh, it was definitely the biggest competition I've ever competed at. But you've got cameras in your face and there's eight judges and athletes standing around and the high bar is the same height and the pommel horse looks exactly the same and the parallel bars are set up the same. And it's kind of like in basketball, no matter where you go, the, the hoop is going to be 10 feet tall. The, the net's going to be the same. The court's going to be the same size. And you just you get used to it, and it's one of the things that I, I preach to people because I, I have a lot of athletes come up to me that say, hey, how do you, how do you eliminate nervousness? How do mm-hmm. I, I'm always nervous, and I've had some athletes that tell me that they feel like they're going to throw up when they're about to compete, and I always tell them, like, well, sorry, you can't eliminate the nerves. You can only prepare for them and get used to them. And what I used to do was every competition, every single day in the gym, regardless of how big the practice was or the competition was or what was expected of me, I used to try to make myself as nervous as possible. One of my coaches used to say, if you can make your hands sweat and practice because you're nervous, that's the best thing you can do because you prepare yourself for these big moments. And then when you get to those moments, they feel normal. They don't Hmm. feel out of the ordinary. And so that's kind of how the Olympics was for me. It just felt like another competition that I had already experienced experience before and i was just ready for it yeah and and that's that's so fascinating just the whole idea right it's not i think that people may think that you know in in thinking about the olympics not just that you've had this wealth of experience to get you to that point but basically like okay you know your events at 10 you walk into the arena at 9 55 and then you go that's not how it is like you have time to like feel your way through the arena get used to it know where you need to be when you need to be there you're warming up like all of those things so um I I imagine that uh, you get asked a lot about the feeling when you're on the podium Um, and just how do you, I guess, what would be the lesson in standing on the podium that you would want to share with young athletes? Does that make sense? I mean, it's a really vague question, but you're standing there. What's in your head? Like, what do you want to transmit? Uh, I, I think the only the only thing that I can tell people is it's, it's like the saying goes, time flies when you're having fun. Well, time flies when you are experiencing the greatest moment of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All all I wish I could go back and do is try to soak it in a little bit longer because there's, there's nothing quite like seeing the American flag go up in the air, having a medal placed over my neck. And you know, it's, it's just special. And, Everybody, everybody experiences it a little bit different. I just, I, I almost had like a clear head. I wasn't even really thinking about anything other than the fact that I'm standing on the Olympic podium and I, I did it. And mm-hmm. some people have flashbacks. Some people 
are emotional. I just stood there and I, I, I wish that I could have stood there an extra hour, but it just, it flies by. And so my, my advice to anybody, if any time you win an award, whether it's the Olympics or, or not, just really soak in the moment because before you know it, you're 33 years old and you're retired and you wish you could go back and do it all again. Oh man. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's wise words. Very wise. Okay. So, so you have this moment on the, on the podium, the gymnastics career seems like you're, you're still involved, um, but maybe not in a competitive way, but you have found a way to remain competitive and that's through uh, ninja warrior. So you've been on TV doing Ninja Warrior things, and that's also got to be a similar sort of lead up and, and idea of, uh, you know, the pressure as to being in the Olympics, maybe at a much smaller scale. But what is uh, what drew you to Ninja Warrior? What's the, the preparation for that like? And my main question is I watched a clip of you where you're just like, it seems like you need to have the world's strongest hands to be able to hold on. And there was like a bungee thing that could pull is like a, a pipe that you were going pipe to pipe to pipe. It's just like the training that goes into that side of what you do. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I got involved in, in Ninja warrior about uh, six years ago because I, I just was a big fan of it. I loved watching it on TV and to be completely truthful. I was a little bit arrogant thinking, ah, I'm an Olympic gymnast. I'm going to go on that show. I'm going to smoke everybody. It's gonna be easy. <laughs> well, I got a giant piece of humble pie my first time going on the show, <laughs> just, just fall, falling in the water and just realizing how challenging it is. And so I've, I've been on four seasons now, four seasons of the regular show, one season of Ninja versus Ninja, which okay. is a, a little bit different, was on, you know, the original show was on NBC, the Ninja versus Ninja was on USA. I don't know if they're going to bring that back. So really five seasons of Ninja Warrior and you know, I officially retired from gymnastics at the age of 32, which is why I always, you know, my last competition was at 30, uh, started at four. I always say 28 years of com- competition. Everybody's like, well, your math is off. I know, but I, I retired at 32. Um, and so when I retired, I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit to this whole Ninja Warrior thing. And so I've been training really hard for it. Um, and it's, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a reason that the rock climbers, are amazing and the only guy that's ever won the million dollar grand prize was a world-class rock climber named isaac caldiero because you got to have vice grips for hands yeah because you i mean you're on your arms and hands the entire course almost and climbing across stuff and you know i've tried to build up my rock climbing ability so i rock climb two three days a week and then uh i like to just get involved in lots of new things actually um people think i'm crazy for this but about seven months ago I took up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is like the hardest cardiovascular workout I've ever done in my life. Wow. And so I I was doing specific Ninja Warrior obstacle training for about a year and a half, maybe two years. But now I do, I rock climb and I do Jiu-Jitsu. So I get my grip strength in and then I get my cardio in. And so it's going to be a little bit of a, a little experiment that I'm doing this year since I'm going to go back on the show for it's season 11. And I'm curious how just doing the two different sports I'm doing right now will translate to Ninja Warrior without actually training obstacles. But huh. yeah, it's super fun, super hard, and I love doing it. That's so cool. And and there are clips of you doing it, so I encourage people to go check it out and to have their minds blown by what what you can do. Um, so, so one thing that's uh, sort of a, a life-changing sort of thing for me is I was um, – 
I was diagnosed with type two diabetes recently, and that's after you know sort of a a, a lifetime of not really taking care of what I or not being very conscious of what I was eating. Um, and that's all shifted in the last, you know, four weeks. So I'm, I'm curious about how, the role that nutrition plays for you and your training. Yeah. Uh, well, first I, I, I'm sorry to, to hear that. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's tough. I don't even have the, the words to, to tell you. Um, well, it's, it's, you it's, I mean, it's all good. Like I'm, I'm fighting it via diet and things like that. And I'm already yeah. seeing things changing and going down. And so it is all good. That Great. was not the, like, so, so, um, thank you for that. And you're, you're just talking to you is, is amazing. And, 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 uh, <laughs> sort of, a, you know, a, a shining light in this, in this time. But I, I'm, I think that like the idea of what a, a elite Olympic slash Ninja warrior level athlete, what they do from a food perspective to as part of the training regimen, I think is really interesting. Yeah. So I, it, it makes a very, very big difference. And one of the things that I write about in my book is the fact that I didn't take my diet serious for a really long time. And one of the, you know, my, obviously the book is called if I had known, well, if I had known how important my diet was, I would have started training myself from a really young age on how to apply healthy habits and put the right fuel in my body because I didn't start eating right until I was in my mid twenties. And as soon as, well, what happened was I started gaining weight. I I couldn't gain a pound up until I was like 24, 25 years old. I, I could eat whatever I wanted and never put on any excess weight. And then suddenly my body shifted, started, you know, gaining weight. And I was like, what the heck is happening right now? And I went and I visited a nutritionist and he was like, well, what's your diet? And I told him, he was like, what in the heck? How are you an Olympian with this diet? And I was like, I don't know, man. I just thought I could eat what I wanted. I was working out like four to six hours a day. And he was like, yeah, you can't outwork a bad diet. And I was like, huh, huh. that's an interesting statement. Yeah. And uh, so next thing I know, I, I shifted how I ate and how I looked at food and as soon as I started putting the right food in my body, I was blown away by the increase in performance. I felt lean and light and strong and gymnastics got easier. And before I knew it, I was like punching myself, regretting the lifestyle that I was living leading up to that point. I was thinking, man, maybe if I had eaten well, I know I accomplished a lot already, but I wonder if I could have been even better had I been like fueling myself properly. And so for the last, um, you know, probably six to eight years of my career, I, I did fuel myself really well. And I was the leanest, lightest, strongest I'd ever been. And I, you know, I struggled with some injuries toward the end of my career, but I got through them relatively quick because my, I think my diet played a big part in that. And so that's the, the one thing that I would tell, tell not just athletes, but anybody, if you want your, if you want your life to perform well, you've got to put the right fuel in your body. It's like if you owned a Lamborghini or Ferrari, you're not going to go put, you know, 87 octane in your car. You're going to go put the highest, you know, put the highest octane rated fuel you possibly can because you want it to run well. And so I, I'm very passionate. Um, but at the same time, your diet plays a big role mentally. And so you need to continue to, you know, as you're on your new journey right now with a different diet, I would say, don't don't um 
don't not treat yourself from time to time. You know, maybe once a week, go eat a really bad meal because <laughs> it like mentally, it mentally resets you. And it's important. My nutritionist even said, hey, you need to have a cheat day, maybe just a cheat meal. But once a week, my wife and I, we will go out and we will just like pig out one day. <laughs> we'll eat like donuts in the morning, pizza for dinner. And like, but then the next day it's, it's back to normal. You yeah. Know, eating well. That today's Valentine's Day, right? And so, I like my wife and I. Uh, this morning, I, I I surprised her with a, a pretty nice bottle of wine and ice cream cake that we're going to eat tonight, and it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you you gotta. It's all about moderation, what you put in your body, but then treat yourself to to just remind yourself of how good that food is, but then make it where that when you have that opportunity to eat like that, it's such a treat. It's so much fun and you look forward to it. Huh. That, that's a good perspective on it. Cause, cause you easily could have said, you know, yes, you, you treat yourself to this. And then the way that you feel afterwards, you're reminded like, Oh, I used to feel like this all the time. Uh, I, I mean that that's a way that I sort of feel like I would react to that. Um, but I, you have a much more positive slant on it than I would. So, 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 Jonathan, you, you, the book is called If I Had Known Life Lessons from an Olympic Pro Athlete, and you talk about lots of different things. I found the, the part about your college decision really fascinating. Um, I just like each chapter is, is something that people are going to take something from, you know, stop trying to be cool. I thought that was amazing. Um, and I, I don't want to give any of it away because to read it in your voice in the book is, is a lot more um, – it's a lot. It's a lot more impactful than than me sort of saying it. Um, you know, the idea of not forgetting the basics. You know, using the right fuel, which we talked about. Going to bed, the importance of sleep. Going down swinging. You know, giving it your best effort. There's so much in there, and I know that uh, you spend a lot of time as a as a motivational speaker, inspirational speaker. Um, I want, also want to give you a chance to talk about your 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 personal ninja warrior business. So, what have I not covered in terms of what Jonathan Horton is all about? Oh man, uh, well, there's uh, my life is busy right now. I'll give you that. Um, yeah, you know the 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 book. I I did an interview right after I retired, and the guy that was interviewing me. The reason I started writing the book was because the, the interview question I got was, hey, John, you know, now that you're retired, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. And I, the, the light bulb went off. I was like, wow, okay. I, I guess there, this sport did teach me a lot about life. And so I wrote the book with young kids in mind. I would say anyone from, you know, I'd say fourth grade and up. It's a very easy read. And I know that the attention span of our young people is none. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an easy read. I wrote it in simple language. I wanted the lessons to come across clear as day. And some of it in there um, is applicable to young kids. And some of it, like you said, are great lessons for, I've had, I had a 65 year old lady come up to me the other day who told me she read my book and it reignited a, a passion of hers. And I was like, that's awesome. And so, um, you know, I just feel really passionate about giving back to people the way the sport has given to me. And so that's, that's where the book comes from. And that's why there's, I mean, there's chapters in there about how to, how to stand out while you're trying to get into college, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's not going to apply to everybody, but um, some people it will. And so I'm uh, I, 
I'm working on on volume two right now. I don't know what I'm going to title it yet, oh, but cool. um, I never I never thought of myself as an author, and I, I'm not the best writer. I was terrible in English, but I just I I've gone home and I try to write like 30 minutes to an hour a day and just see what comes of it. And so there's that. I guess I'm an author now. And then yeah. <laughs> mentioned the uh, you, you mentioned the speaking stuff. So yeah, that's that's my my biggest passion. I've been speaking now for about 10 years, and I love, absolutely love to get in front of a big, fun crowd and just share my story. I, I can deliver a keynote anywhere from 12 minutes to 45 minutes, uh-huh. and I, I, I've been doing some, some big, fun corporate events. I speak to schools. I'll, speak to, I'll go to local gymnastics facilities, talk with the kids, but um, that's, a, that's a, a career that has been slowly growing and trying to to just increase my my influence and i always tell people i want to be known as the guy that gave people hope um and by being able to just share with people how i, I wasn't i wasn't the, the the kid that got started in my sport that was like the child prodigy that, that i'm not michael phelps that by any means who broke records at at nine years old um you know so i just want to give people hope that it's not how you start it's how you finish kind of thing mm-hmm. and then uh yeah my my other side gig is i i part own a a large mobile obstacle course a company that i started with my agent called ninja coalition and we set up our 50 foot by 20 foot obstacle course for we've done local you know city events we've done large corporate events we did a big event for a church out in sacramento We've got some more churches that we're going to be working with. We're going to be setting up for some big companies here in Houston, New York, California. Uh, so we're, we're bouncing around all over the place, and we just kind of give people a ninja experience. And it's, it's been a blast. So I stay very busy. It's been hard because I, I travel a lot, and I've got two kids and a wife. Uh-huh. But it keeps food on the table, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, so if we wanted to to find out more or follow you or, or website, Twitter, what all of the sort of places on the internet where we can keep up with what you're doing, what would be those those spots? Yeah, so I uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me or follow me is obviously I'm, I, I try to be as, as – um, uh, consistent with Instagram as possible. I try to post a couple times a day on Instagram, so you can follow me at jhorton11. And then I also have a Twitter account, which I don't do a ton with on Twitter. I have a Facebook fan page. And then I, people think I'm crazy for this, but I hand out my email. If you ever want to get a hold of me, just email me. If you have or anybody that's interested in any of the stuff that we're doing or if you want me to come out for an event, email me at info.jonathanhorton at gmail.com. And I can't guarantee I'm going to get back to you immediately, but I will get back to you. So uh, those are the, the best ways to get a hold of me or follow me. And I will say an excellent emailer. That is not that is not just, just lip service. You, you are very, very responsive, which I really appreciate it. Um, so Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for, for the time. Uh, I said we were probably going to be around 20 minutes, but I couldn't help myself. And so here we are at about 40 minutes. And it is very generous and gracious of you to, to spend the time with me and to, to share your story. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to resonate with lots and lots and lots of people. So thank you so much.
stuff.